talk about the carpenter. You know who the carpenter is? Amen. Hallelujah. Years ago in a little southern town, a man was carving a bust out of a large piece of wood. Eventually, that log became a statue of Abraham Lincoln. One little boy who had seen the beginning of the project looked in amazement at the figure, and he said, wow, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln was in that log. Yes, Abraham Lincoln was there all along. He had just not been discovered. Praise God. I want us to go to Mark chapter 6. We'll read verse 2 and 3 today. This can also be found over in Matthew chapter 13, 55 and 56 verses. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. I'm going to tell you about a man named Isaac Watts. Does anybody know who Isaac Watts was or is? Amen. He's gone on now. But Isaac Watts was a genius. And at the age of four, Isaac learned Latin. At nine, he learned Greek. At 11, French. And at 13, he learned Hebrew. He was quite a character. <laughs> he had a habit of making things rhyme when he would talk, and he drove his parents up a wall. Once when this, the father, his father demanded to know why he had his eyes open doing prayers, he said, a little mouse for one of stairs ran up a rope to say its prayers. And after he received punishment from that, he cried out, oh, father, <laughs> he said, Take some pity on me. I will in no more time make verses to rhyme. Amen. So as Isaac grew, he devoted his little gift to the service of God. That's why when you open a hymnal in the English-speaking world today, you'll nearly always find one of his 750 hymns. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. He wrote songs such as Joy to the World. When I survey the wondrous cross, and one song that everybody knows, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Unfortunately, Isaac, the man who had made such a great love for beauty in the world, around him was not movie star material. His one chance at love came with a young lady named Elizabeth Singer who actually fell in love with Watts sight unseen through his published poems. She was so taken with this man who could write so deeply and passionately that she threw caution to the wind, defied convention, and asked him to marry her in a letter. 
I thought he was quite interesting. <laughs> so when they finally met, Elizabeth retracted her offer on the spot. <laughs> she later wrote in her journal that Isaac Watts was only five feet tall with a shallow face, a hooked nose, che uh, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like collar. She said, color. She said, I admired the jewel, but not the casket that contained it. <laughs> so he lost out there. He never did get married. Anyway, she missed a chance to marry the father of English um, hymnody. He was the father of the English hymns. And some people call him the most influential man of his generation, Isaac Watts. He was personal friends with many people that we admire, that we have learned from, and we still read their writings today. Jonathan Edwards, um, John and Charles Wesley, Charles Whitfield, Whitefield, Benjamin Franklin published a book of Watts' hymns, and uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon grew up committing his poetry to memory. He was heartbroken at the rejection of this lady, and he never did get married, but he spent a single life focused on the glory of God. It was in 1719 that he published his poetic work based on Psalms 98 that would go on to become his best-known hymn and one of the world's favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the World. I thought that was quite interesting. In spite of his rejection, he made a choice to serve the Lord. You know, we all have a choice, don't we? You know, he could have been put down because maybe of his looks or maybe his rejection or maybe his parents didn't like the way that he phrased his words <laughs> in poetry, you know. But he decided he was going to go on in this gift that he had, which was probably aggravating to so many people, especially his family. But he took that and he went on to serve God and he gave it to the Lord. You know, Satan had a choice to serve God, didn't he? But he refused. He's a, he was so jealous of mankind's choice that he wants to ensure that we refuse. Amen? His conflict with God and his people recklessly rampages through man's history from the beginning of the Garden of Eden. Satan was successful in leading Adam and Eve into sin. But God intervened in a redemptive act and spoke his promise. In Genesis 3 and 15, he said, and I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And from that very moment on, we know that Satan began working feverishly on his plans to launch a preemptive strike against God by aborting the line through which the man child was to come. He tried from the very beginning to abort the bloodline from which our Savior was to come. Amen. He wanted to stop the people of God, and he wanted to stop the plan of redemption at all costs. We know that he filled Cain with hatred to murder his brother Abel. But you know what happened? God raised up Seth. You know, and then Satan led mankind into to uh, enough wickedness that God destroyed the world with a flood. But who did God raise up? Noah. We all know about Noah. Well, Satan deceived men with false religions that worship the gods of nature, but God raised up Abraham. And he continued to raise up people. Amen? 
even though the enemy did everything that he could to stop that bloodline, to stop it in its track. Well, Satan deceived men with false religions. God raised up Abraham and he, you know, and the enemy caused Pharaoh to issue a death warrant for all the Hebrew boys. God thwarted his plan through Pharaoh's own daughter and the opportune tears of a baby named Moses. Satan tempted Israel until lustful oranges before golden calf, but God raised up the sons of Levi. Satan bribed the prophet Balaam to curse the nation of Israel, but God took control of Balaam's tongue. He frightened the spies with the giants of the land of Canaan, and God raised up Joshua and Caleb. He tried to starve out the nation through the raids of the Midianites, but God raised up Gideon. He bound the strong man Samson, with cords of lust that he couldn't break. And he handed him over to the Philistines to rot in a prison. But God gave Samson his greatest victory when he repented in his lowest moment. He snared King Saul with a sin of pride, but God raised up a man after his own heart, the psalmist David. He caused Queen Athaliah to kill of the royal seed, but God raised up Jehoiada, the priest, to hide little Joash. I hope you're following me here today. He's tried generation after generation after generation to thwart the plan of God and stop a Savior from being born into this world. He helped Haman hatch his plot of genocide against the Jews, but God raised up Queen Esther. Satan polluted the lineage of the Messiah so much that God cursed King Jeconiah and all his descendants. Jeconiah was the last king in David's lineage. He was succeeded not by his son, but by his uncle Zedekiah. Zedekiah was blinded and led to Babylon in chains, and his reign marked the end of Judah as a kingdom. Satan thought the curse would put an end to the plan of redemption. But thank God he had a higher purpose. Amen. Over in Jeremiah chapter 22, 28 through 30, it says, Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childish, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So Josiah beget Jeconias and his brethren about the time that they carried away to Babylon. But Jesus, as a legal but not literal son of Joseph, was a miraculous answer to the riddle of the rabbis. As both man and God, he was the only one who could have possibly filled the role of the Messiah. No, there's a lot of reading here, but if you'll follow me, it's, it's really, really good. Amen. God had a plan. God had a plan. I'm so glad that he carried out that plan. 
Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Look how far Jesus came. Amen. He traded the robes of eternity for rags which wrapped his tiny body. His golden throne room was abandoned in the favor of a dirty sheep pen which reeked of dung. Divinity entered the world in a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. He picked up tools and he made things. Jesus learned a craft and he worked just like the others in his community. They ask, isn't this the carpenter? Jesus could have worked in whatever occupation he wanted to, but he chose to be a carpenter. I wonder why. I remember Marcy and the girls used to sing, he's still working on me, to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, oh, and all of these things, but he's still working on me. And I'm so glad that he is. Amen. Isn't this the carpenter? Jesus grew up in a home whose head was the carpenter. I don't think it was coincidental. Carpenters have a plan. Carpenters have a plan. And you know, sometimes we feel like kicking against the pricks. But you know what? It's always hard when we kick against the pricks because they hurt. Amen. They hurt our feet. When we kick up against the pricks, when God's trying to work something in us, but God's still working on us. Amen. He has a plan. They take what He takes what is common and He makes it special. And I'm so glad that He did that. Amen. Carpenters make things of utility and value. The carpenter does the work, and the object in his hand yields to the design. Praise God, praise God. So Jesus today is the carpenter, amen. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 16, 17, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, for he is before all things and by him all things consist. When Jesus creates, he sustains. In him, he holds all things together. All things are held together by the word of the Lord. So today, Jesus is building you and me. We might wonder why so many things are happening in our lives, why maybe we're going through and so many trials and tests, but God is working on us uh, and we need to yield to the carpenter amen we need to allow him to have his way in our life and all of our ways if we'll acknowledge him he will direct our paths that's what he said praise the lord uh i want to share with you here um about an old uh, sculptor that I read and I looked and I searched and I found it. I thought, yeah, that's what God's doing in us. I want to share this with you. The brilliant summer sun poured its liquid heat on the windswept island of the Caribbean paradise as the old village sculptor made his way to his humble home outside the village center. On his way, he passed a great white mansion of the plantation owner 
who, with his field workers, was felling one of the age-old trees that for generations had provided protection from the scorching sun. The old sculpture suddenly stopped, and with a twinkle in his eye, he called over the wall with a note of interest. What will you do with those discarded stumps of wood? The owner replied, these are good for nothing but firewood. I have no use for this junk. The old sculptor begged for a piece of the junk wood, and with care he lifted the knotted tree trunk to his shoulders. With a smile of gratitude, he staggered into the distance, carrying his burdensome treasure. After entering his college, the old man placed the jagged piece of tree in the center of the floor. Then, in a seemingly mysterious and ceremonious manner, he walked around what the plantation owner had called useless junk. As the old man picked up his hammer and chisel, a strange smile pierced his leathered face. Attacking the wood, he worked as though under a mandate to set something free from the gnarled, weathered trunk. The following morning, the son found the sculptor asleep on the floor of his college, clutching a beautifully sculptured bird. He had freed the bird from the bondage of the junk wood. Later, he placed the bird on the railing of his front porch and forgot about it. Weeks later, the plantation owner came by for a visit. And when he saw the bird, he asked to buy it, offering whatever price the sculptor might name. Satisfied that he had made an excellent bargain, the gentleman walked away, <clears throat> hugging to his breast the great pride and newly acquired treasure. The old sculptor sitting on the steps of his simple college counted his spoil and thought, junk is in the eyes of the beholder. Some look and others see. Today there are many individuals whose lives are like the old tree. Trapped within them is a beautiful bird of potential that may never fly. Society, like the plantation owner, sees nothing in them but a useless, worthless person on his way to the garbage heap of life. But we must remember that one man's junk is another man's jewel. When we think about the life of Abraham Lincoln, his story is one of the most dramatic examples of a man struggling to release the wealth of potential locked up inside him. Abraham Lincoln lost his job in 1832. He was elected to the legislature in 1834, and he suffered the death of his sweetheart in 1830, uh, 1836. He suffered a nervous breakdown. He was defeated for Speaker of the State Legislature in 1838, and he was defeated for nomination for Congress in 1843. He was elected Congress in, to Congress in 1846. He was rejected for the position of land officer in 1849. He was defeated for the Senate in 1854. He was defeated for the nomination for Vice President of the United States in 1856. He again was defeated for the Senate in 1858, but he was elected president of the United States in 1860. Amen. So, you know, we look at people sometimes, or we may 
even look at our own lives and we can't see the potential there. We can't see what's deep down inside. Just like the sculpture, you know, when he found this old piece of wood, he made it into something beautiful. And that's what God's doing in our lives. And, you know, in lives of our loved ones, people that we're praying for, you know, people might look at them or look at us and they might say, well, I don't see anything there. Just an old piece of junk. But you know what? God sees beyond that old piece of junk. Amen. He is the carpenter today. And you know what? He's still working. He's still working on a mansion. Uh, you know, he said, he, he said, I go away and I prepare a place for you. He said that where I am there, you may be able to. So he's still doing carpenter work. Amen. He's doing carpenter work in us, and he's doing carpenter work in heaven. Amen. So that one day he can receive a bride unto himself. I just wanted to share that with you today. I thought maybe it would be encouraging to know that God is still working on us. He's still working on the people. He won't give up on us. He sees beyond what the natural eye can see. Amen. Amen.